0: This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast episode 23 with guest Hannah Wicks. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Soborova, and welcome to today's conversation. Hannah is the Chief Marketing Officer at Ecosia, and for those of you who don't know, it's a search engine that plants trees. Simple as that. Together with her team, she's reinforcing Ecosia's position as the pioneering social business that has funded planting of more than 125 million trees worldwide. Today we speak about greenwashing, ethical marketing strategy, and green-centric business development. In short, if you are still not offsetting your carbon footprint as a business, in this episode, Hanna will explain how you can be more climate-conscious… As a company already today so with that here is my conversation with hannah wicks and if you want to learn more about the podcast then head over to our website waa.berlin hello hannah uh, welcome to the studio i was waiting for the right moment and the right person to finally talk about sustainability and finally this day has arrived yay thank you so much for having me thank you for coming Right at the start of your career, you were working at Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Can you tell me about
1: your times as a producer and journalist? Yeah, it was quite a long time ago now, but I worked for the ABC um, for about seven years, um, and it's where I really started off. So... Um, I'm from a state called Queensland in Australia, quite far north, quite regional. I was a rural kid growing up and radio and the ABC, like one of the few um, things that you could pick up where I lived, like it is the national broadcaster for a reason. It has a duty to such a huge country as Australia to be the lifeline out. So there was a particular radio station called Triple J which is listened to by two and a half million Australians and out of a population around 25. So, uh, and growing up in a regional area, that is, it's an indie radio station. There's people, you're like, oh my God, there's bands, there's music, there's a whole world out there. And yeah, I was lucky enough t- to go and work there eventually. I mean, I had to study a little bit along the way. Um, but yeah, so I ended up working for Triple J, and that was a very different kind of world to where I am now. So, radio producer and journalist. They're two very similar but slightly different things. So journalists sometimes I think of as more of someone who's more focused on hard news and current affairs. Well, as a radio producer, I worked more in talkback, live kind of radio. So the phone lines were always on. People were messaging, calling. It was, it was before there was social media and we were all sitting on Twitter, there was live radio and people connected. And Australia is such a driving country, so people listened to the radio for several hours each day. Um, and podcasts at that point were just taking off. So we were producing the first podcast as well. And it was a really interesting time and music meant and does mean quite a lot to me. So it was super fun to work in that as well. So being right now in the studio is not something new for you at all. I know it's so nice to be back and like have a microphone and the headphones on and just like, it's my happy place. This is good to hear. I mean, this is amazing. This is like your home turf with all the equipment and stuff. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, oh, is the audio good? Am I too close to the mic? So I have those kind of like, if I'm going to have a nightmare, it will be a radio nightmare. So, how did you decide for Germany
0: as your next location to work and live?
1: That's it. It's not necessarily that I decided for Germany, it's more that I decided to leave Australia. So, I'd been working at the ABC for a few years. My presenter was retiring after being 10 years on air and I'd been five years producing him. And I was like, I need a new adventure. And so I was like, okay, let's travel and see where I end up. And I thought at first I was going to stay in radio. And then after a while I was like, actually, let's try a new medium. Let's try something else. And I was in the UK for a little while. And then I started looking for jobs in Germany because I'd visited Berlin. And I was like, this would be cool. So I, <laughs> I was like, what's close to radio? I was like, social media. I'm like, that's the same thing. It's just a different <laughs> platform, right? It's just people talking and building community on, online or on air. It's, it. There are a lot of similarities. And I was like, okay, let's try that. And then I just looked for jobs that were social media related and found one where they were literally looking for an Australian to do social media out of Dusseldorf. And, yeah, that was when I first was like, okay, this is it. I First time I'd been to Dusseldorf was for the job interview. So it was a... Yeah. Interesting experience from then on.
0: It is interesting. I mean, from broadcasting and being a producer on a show to becoming a social media leader, and then it's also in the tech startup. So mm. it's completely,
1: completely different world. It It's a similar, similar energy, like they're both very on environments, like things happen at a very fast pace in live radio. And it is similar to how it is in a tech startup, like things grow rapidly, people get engaged. And uh, it was the energy that I really liked. And I was like, okay. And I ended up working for Trivago. So it was a travel company as well. And I was like, well, that's why I left Australia to travel. This is perfect. And they had a policy of unlimited holiday leave, as long as you could get your job done and you can do social media from a lot of places. So for me, that was perfect. And I, But on day two, they were like, could you also do pay campaigns? And I was like... Uh, yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So it went very rapidly. It stopped being social media and went to paid social and content marketing. And it was a company that allowed me to grow um, very rapidly and try new areas of marketing. And many things you just learned on the go. Yeah, I studied marketing. So I had done that at university and I did it as a backup plan because I was also studying journalism. I'm like, there are no jobs in journalism. Like I kept hearing it again and again. And then I was one of the few who got lucky and got a job in journalism while I was studying. And I just never left the internship. Like I I didn't leave the ABC. I was like, well, it's three weeks, but I could stay longer. And, yeah, so I had that grounding in what marketing was. Um, but it was more traditional. It's more like, OK, this is what brand is. This is what public relations is. And this is how we do it. And it's very the university style versus how it is at a, one of like a Germany's tech unicorns is very different. Yeah.
0: And before we deep dive with our conversation on Ecosia, mm-hmm. because that's where I would love our focus to be around yeah. sustainability and Ecosia. I'm also curious to know how the topic of sustainability came into your life. Was it before mm. Cosia or as you joined the company?
1: I think that's a really interesting question. For me, it was always about nature and people. So uh, because I grew up in the countryside, like I didn't live in a city until I went to university. Um, so I have quite a different experience to most. So I've always been quite connected with wild places, with nature, um, with almost the changing of the seasons and a little bit of what we have now lost. So I also, while I was in the UK before moving to Germany, I was volunteering at the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, um, actually the UK's largest environmental charity, and seeing how people were connected with wildlife and habitats, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. Like I And I was looking at, like, do I go live on an island and, like, look at birds? And so for me there was this... Like I have always found it very intriguing and but my awareness of climate change was quite low. And I think for a lot of us at that point, like maybe five or so years ago, it was like, no, it's a kind of a thing that I've heard about, but it's not really affecting my life and I can't see it affecting my life. Like it wasn't on my really like radar. And that started to change while I was at Travago. I became more aware of what, what we were kind of facing as well. Today you were chief marketing officer at Ecosia. Which is a search
0: engine that plants trees. How did you decide to join the company?
1: Another interesting question. That one, I was on the lookout. I was like, what is somewhere I can use my skills and what I've learned at Trivago for really positive impact? And Trivago wasn't a bad company by any means, but there's a tech company grows, and often the structure is, is that the founders are the ones that make revenue. We went through the IPO launch, there was shareholder structure, it was a huge learning curve. And I was like, how can I take these skills that I have learned? And I was at that point head of UK and Ireland, which is their second biggest market. And I'd learned a lot about large scale marketing and growth. How do I take those skills and apply it for somewhere where the impact is going to be positive? And for me, it was twofold. It was like, how can I help nature in some ways, but also people? How can I actually ensure that we're not leaving people behind and that the work that I do, especially marketing, like you want to be developing something for good? And so that for me was kind of what I was looking for. And I'd heard about Ecosia from people I'd worked with and like people like, oh, look, I'm my search engine planting trees. I'm like, what is, what is this? (laughs) Like it was, so I heard about it the natural way. A lot of people hear about Ecosia, which is word of mouth. And then you decided to just come to Berlin. Yeah. I sent them an email. I was like, is this role still hiring? (laughs) And I got a reply back in five minutes. They were like, yes, absolutely. Like, and so, yeah, I came to Berlin and I met the team and, it was super interesting. It's not your normal interview process. Like I got to meet the chief tree planning officer. That's not usually someone in your interview panel. Um, and it, is, it was a smaller company. So there was way more contact with the product and engineering teams than I had experienced at Trivago as well. So, yeah. And then I started within a couple of months. It was super, super fast. And Berlin has been a wild ride since.
0: Over 15 million users have planted over 125 million trees. For free mm. this is amazing this numbers are crazy this is all just by searching the web so how does this work exactly the person goes on Ecosia they searches anything they're looking for and this plants a tree how does this process looks in practice
1: yeah so it all started at about it's coming up to 12 years now our founder was like okay how can I make money (laughs) in order to do large scale landscape restoration and impact people along the way? He'd been travelling, he'd seen decimated landscapes and was like, okay, there's got to be a way, but how am I going to get the funds to do this? And he didn't go down the normal path, which is starting a charity and asking for donations, which is a great goal and there's a lot of different organizations who work very effectively that way he was like how can I have just a business and channel the profits into that positive impact and that was kind of the thought process and he was like well search engines there's a large one beginning with g that seems to have a lot of profits um so he was like okay, how do I do this and that was kind of the start of a cozier. so it's basically you have at the top of every search engine you have ads at search ads and instead of keeping those profits um, for shareholders or founders, um, we're like, okay, each month we put those profits towards tree planning. And depending on which tree planning project needs it that month. So it might be that it's rainy season somewhere or this other project needs support or they're ready to scale the tree planning again. So we kind of administer the funds in the same way that maybe an NGO would approach it.
0: Back to the trees. I mean, what kind of trees do you plan and also how do you decide mm-hmm. on the location?
1: Yeah, that's usually the first question is like, where are the trees, uh, and what kind of trees are they? And the we plant whatever is native to the region. So we're not very interested in planting monocultures because they can have a very <laughs> negative impact very quickly. Uh, so we plant whatever's native, as diverse as we can. Often, depending on the communities, we might prioritize some food um, trees or so fruit trees, for example. And each project is tailored. To whatever the local community needs and wants, and the local project partner, uh, so it varies a lot. So one of my favourites is, for example, in Senegal, where the primary crop is crop is peanuts, and it's um, obviously not a huge lot of diet variation in that. It's a hugely arid landscape on the edge of the Sahara, but if you plant a certain way, you can build up a forest farm, and so you plant acacia, like with these huge thorns, and build like a border. And then that prevents the goats from coming in, which the goats are the nemesis of all our tree planting projects. And then you do rows like alley cropping of trees, different kind of fruit trees. And then beneath that, because of the canopy of the trees, you can then grow fruit and vegetables at that, maybe a lower kind of bushes and shrubs. And trees are kind of magical. They can raise a water table up, which makes it possible to grow other crops um, other than peanuts. So... That kind of project is like we look for local farmers who are like, yes, I want to do this. I want to trial and do my own forest farm. And that is super exciting because that's not only for them a food supply, but it's also a local income source for local market days. So that's just like one example. And then it might be, you know, in Uganda it might be forest corridors connecting places where there's one chimpanzee community and another and they're completely isolated. And that's obviously not great if that species is going to survive. And so we fund Jane Goodall and her work there in Uganda to connect these. But with every project, you've got to be like, why are there no longer trees there? What caused the deforestation? And you can't just replant the trees without asking that question because otherwise yeah, the trees. Because you aren't want them to around. be there for exactly. at least thirty years. Exactly, and we track the trees over time, so it's really important to us and to continue working that region that we can see that the tree is still there, like three years later and survived. We expect to lose some, and the trees you see in that tree counter, which is I think today it is, it's ticking over to $130 million, and that doesn't include the ones that we have planted that we would expect to lose as well. So there's always a buffer. So what are usually the causes? Depends. So like Burkina Faso, for example, it's one of our biggest projects, and it is so dry. Um, it is, yeah. Um, So you have to dig like half moons in the ground to capture the rain in the rainy season and then plant a sapling and then it's got to be tended over time. But the extreme heat means you will lose some. Other reasons, um, there can be fires in the projects. Quite often we plant and we replant um, in fire-damaged regions, um, but species that are more resilient. That can be another reason. Obviously, livestock grazing, that's what prevents a lot of trees that would naturally regenerate from coming back as well. I mean, this is great, but so complex.
0: I mean, I can imagine the whole team and the projects, the people working behind it, like you do forecasting, the weather, the yeah. local species. The <laughs> you
1: need a lot of knowledge. And thankfully, we have a tree team in-house. So it's a mix of ecologists and and also economists. So we have like um, people who are looking at, OK, it's great to plant a tree here, but what's the actual social impact of that? Is that tree going to bring back income into the region one of the most recent ones we did was started working in Sudan and that is a women focused project and it's looking at growing trees that produce gum um, and that's an income source for for local women and that one I'm super excited about. Like that is a transformational kind of project. And it when you start working in regions that have been war torn for so long and you can sign and it's not that you are entering the region and doing charity donations you're entering the region and being like, no, this is funding so you can get your business up and running through trees. That is quite motivating if you're working in marketing for that.
0: And speaking of you as a CMO at the social business as COSIA, I'm more than confident that you approach things differently. So by not simply getting the attention of the users and, you know, the customers out there, but actually bringing people to action, this is what you want to do, right? So how do you approach those things differently? How do you work differently as a marketeer
1: at a social business? Yeah, there's a whole different (laughs) approach to things. So firstly, it's the metric um, that we use. So we look at the metrics that a normal marketer would look at, like how much is the cost per click? How much is the click-through rate? um, What's your return on advertising spend? But we also like, what's our return on trees? Is this project, this campaign, this partnership going to mean more trees or is it going to mean less? And if, yeah, if the campaign's not profitable, then you kind of have that weight on you that you're like, that means that we've gone negative trees on that campaign. So there's always that element of there's a little bit of jeopardy when you're making decisions and it's, it puts a bit more weight. So you don't recklessly go, this is a test. I'm going to spend half a million proving whether or not this works. And then the company will be able to scale it. But we don't really approach it in that kind of high growth mindset. Ecosia, crucially as well, like if you approach investors and ask them to invest in a company that then and they're like, but how do I get a return back? And you're like, well, all the profits are going to go into tree planting. That meant Ecosia never had big investment rounds. We never had big outside funders or investors. We had one angel investor. So it meant that there was never big jumps in growth that you would see in common in the stories of a lot of tech companies in Berlin or in Germany or in Silicon Valley like it it is a different approach and so it means that you don't have a large injection of cash to play with as a marketing person with a tech company and you are up against companies who do so you really need to know that your campaigns work and I think the difference for us is we treat our users almost like the investors. They are the shareholders. So every month we publish our financial report. And I I honestly don't, I would question if there's any financial report that that has that many eyeballs on it and that many questions. Like it's our most looked at, shared, commented piece of content every month. And we have like anyone can access them back way back to 2015 and look at how much we made that month, how much we spent on marketing which we call spreading the word, um, how much we spent on operations, salaries, like the full breakdown. And for a company that's not listed, that's incredibly unusual. And then we also importantly say, okay, this is where your trees are this month. And depending on the market, like Germany asks the most, like critical questions of like, where is it going? Why is it this month here? Why not there? And it's, but there is so much engagement. Like it's a, it's a dream to have that because the users are the ones who are like, okay, how did you go? What's the performance like? And th- Those kind of questions are quite, yeah, unusual and we're very lucky. Like even on Instagram, people are looking at our financial reports. That's, your that's great. Yeah, that's your marketing really touch points yeah. change as a social business because you have to be transparent. You have to be trustworthy. We also, from the very beginning, were quite invested in content, visual content, because it's one of our strengths is that we actually have like most tech things you use, there's no physical like reality from that. You're just online. Like it, well, for us, it's like you're online, but because you're online, there will be trees out there. So people want to see where those trees are. They want updates on them. They want to see most kind of liked photos and nursery shots. Like people want to see the little saplings growing. And that is super exciting. And I think those moments are the ones that users like, yes, like yeah, that's, it, that's a an that's emotional also aspect of that. It's, that's just really yeah, good. It's an emotional connection and investment with the users. So that's a different approach as well. And it's also how we acquire users. So through visual kind of content, videos, mm-hmm. power there, of proof is There important. are two
0: terms you mentioned in our email exchange. And I was just like, what are those? First one is ethical marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can clarify what that stands for. Second one is green-centric business development
1: yeah. So ethical marketing strategy, this is a big one. And it's a question that we, Cosu is also privacy friendly, and that is quite a commitment for us because it would be easier probably to make more money if we used our users' data recklessly. But honest kind of belief is that it's not our right to do that. And why should we cut one corner to make something else better over here? So for me, an ethical marketing strategy kind of takes that into into mind, like what is happening and what channels are you using? So we joined the stop hate for profit campaign on with um, boycotted Facebook um, during that for all our pay campaigns. I think that was last year. And then, yeah, these kind of decisions where you're like, okay, do I really need to know the exact location of that user and then retarget them relentlessly? No, um, you probably don't need to do that. And there should be lines in the sand um, that we have. That is really important. And especially because search engines have a lot of data um, and they can know a lot about you, but they don't have to, they don't have to retain all your search queries and pin it to your location and have a user ID and then sell that data to advertisers. They like you can be a profitable company without having to go that far. Um, So for me, that's on one side, like, and we, have difficult conversations all the time in, in the company of like, okay, but if we, and it's like, no, that's not something that we're going to compromise on. So that's, that's for me, one of the areas. And then this question of like, why are you doing that marketing campaign? And is there some other benefit? Like if you have users reaching out for you, out to you to support something, can that be a marketing campaign? And I think we've done several of those. So For example, in the Australian bushfires, we did a big day of kind of fire relief. Last year, we took all of like the UK revenue and search search profits um, in May, and we planted trees with those around NHS hospitals Mm -hmm. um, because they have the highest level of air pollution. And we're like, what can we do that would also in some ways help grow our user base and more people find out about us, but also at the same time help the communities that we want to grow in? And that was looking at 30 different kind of hospitals and looking at like they had the highest levels of air pollution, like what? And yet we are sending people who are unwell and sick and suffering from COVID and, and those care workers as well are exposed to that every day. And there's no green spaces when they take a break from their shift. And that for us is like, okay, what can we do there? Who are the partners on the ground? And we found an amazing partner who has a list of all the hospitals that desperately want to plant trees, but have no money to do it. And so it's like, okay, let's do this. And it really helped galvanize that market and grow it. So for me, that that's an approach to ethical marketing. It's like, okay, I have money to spend to grow the user base, hopefully profitably. How can I do that in a creative way that also is going to have a positive impact? You balance those two aspects. And then yeah. the second one? The second one? Oh, it's a... Yeah, when you look at kind of business development and how you approach it, so that's a question of who you're partnering with quite often because a company like Ecosia doesn't just build its own tech stack from scratch and you have to really set your standards of how you want to work and who you want to work with and what you would compromise on. So there's a lot of questions around due diligence and things like that. But again, you're accountable to the user base and they use this because they have a hope that there is positive change is possible so if we compromise on that um, it's gonna be a bad for business as well so I think that keeping that in mind and also being one step ahead so thinking like okay everyone wants to be carbon neutral okay but what's beyond that that's neutral is kind of not enough um, so how do you get beyond that point
0: in the proactive state yeah I mean one month ago I think you launched uh, Ecosia trees which is a reforestation service for other businesses Maybe you can speak more about that.
1: Yeah, Cozier Trees came out of a lot of requests over the years from other companies and organizations who were like, okay, how do we plant trees? And it's not easily is the correct answer. And you can, but you might be compromising on how and what kind of species and it might be just a monoculture and not have the impact you want. So launching a Cozier Trees was like, okay, we have a lot of due diligence questions. Firstly, for those partners to ensure that they're not just going to use those trees for greenwashing, they're also not just for offsetting either. But there's a lot of organisations who are like, we want to do positive impact, but we don't know how to go about it. Mm-hmm. Like it's not our expertise. How, and do, how do you identify? Uh, how do you identify those that are uh, there just for greenwashing? I guess it's what are they going to use the trees to motivate people to do, and also are they doing massive harm? to the planet on another area of their business and using trees over here to kind of distract us all. So we don't work with fossil fuel companies, for example, who incidentally have reached out or want to do tree planting at scale because it's a distraction technique. Another one is a lot of banks, for example, have huge amounts of fossil fuel investments and are basically furthering the discovery of more fossil fuels for us to, to mine or harvest. And it, to, partner with them to help them activate users on the other side just doesn't make sense in most cases
0: so with ecosia trees then you help other businesses to understand how to plant trees and how go about it or you take
1: over that work for them we do the tree planning for them so we it's a portfolio so each quarter we would allocate all of the kind of funds that came in from different partners and plant them across the different regions that need the most that that quarter So there'll be, yeah, depending on the rainy season and depending on the partners and what their work is in that that time period, we'd allocate it across the 30 different countries where we plant. And that also means that we're able to scale up some of the work that we want and do extra on top, which is super exciting for the partners on the ground as well. Yeah, so it's the first, yeah, the first batch are happening now. And we'll see how many trees it is all up, which is, this is great. Yeah. Looking forward to the news. Exciting. And what are other big projects ahead for Ecosia and also your team? I think like Ecosia is also a tech company. So a lot of kind of stuff we have on the horizon is, okay, what are users doing online? How can we help them plant more trees? So we're looking at different kind of products that they might use. What are they already there doing? Do they need help making greener decisions? Um, and looking at that, too. So we have like on the product, we have a green leaf kind of icon that goes next to businesses that were like this one. Yeah. And then we have a fossil fuel icon next to a few which have caused massive harm to the planet. And those kind of features are kind of the f- the focus that we have. So how can we improve the kind of green search elements and then also what areas are users doing? So are they shopping online? How are they making those decisions? Can we actually plant trees with some of that revenue as well? So that's an area to explore for us too. And also, obviously, the, the apps are a huge growth area. So users are using are on mobile more and more. So for us, that's also a focus.
0: Yeah, I'm also curious, I mean, from the marketing practices and yeah, marketing efforts that you see your fellow marketeers, colleagues doing, What do you
1: think today is outdated and irrelevant? Oh, I think two things. One, I think doing just like surface level CSR and just doing it, getting a small budget and being like, cool, we'll do this because it will be positive. Just and but it's a drop in the ocean um, compared to what profits that company made. So and also is you could do something of more long-term impact. Um, so looking at partners who you could fund over time, like, and why do they need the funding? And those kind of things. So looking at, like, we have a community engagement program. So in addition to the tree planning, and that's for our employees to kind of select different impact projects, which they are like, this one, this needs funding. It's not tree planning, but it needs support. So we do that, for example, like we've, we've sponsored like eight scholarships for Soulfire farms just outside of New York. And that is super cool. Like they're scholarships so people can learn about how to basically set up a regenerative forest farm in the US, but it's the scholarships are for people of colour and they're for communities that traditionally don't have access to land or this kind of knowledge. So Those kind of things we were like, yes, let's do that. And that, yeah, is super exciting when we have those kind of smaller ones. So can you find these stories, these things that are going underfunded or these things that need more ongoing support? That I think is super exciting when you can do it, but not just doing it and then walking away I think is important with CSR. The other one I see a lot is super, super talented copywriters, creatives, advertisers who are still working on fossil fuel campaigns. And it's just like, why are you doing that? Why? There's some incredible agencies who do great work and actually do a lot of pro bono work for charities and organisations, but on the flip side are still doing campaigns for BP or Shell. And it just, you are making it so much harder for people to understand what is really going on. So I do think if you work in marketing, if you're a creative you have a sense of responsibility to use those skills for good and not to be complicit if you can. Like the bare minimum is not to be complicit in that. Like it, and I, we have so many people who want to work at cozy, for example, and it, and it is a unique purpose-driven company. But if you can't work in an impact business, then the, the bare minimum, I think, is not to kind of further <laughs> the harm if you can and to try and steer well clear of that. I really loved your TV ad, the weird search results it's yeah, so good. That it's one so was good. great. It was. Uh, that was another example of users just coming through for us. So it was a number of users who were actually studying at German Film Academy and were just like, we want to create a TV Wait, ad. What for do you Ecosia. mean
0: users did this ad? It was not yeah. it was not a Cozy marketing team.
1: It, it was in some capacity, but the reality is most of the production and the film and the concept came from students. That's you, pretty amazing. <laughs> if, if you're listening, then you can watch it on a YouTube channel because it's hard to understand when I say students. You think amateur, and this is no, not this is not amateur, amateur at all. Like this is it's like creative, incredible.
0: creative like m- short yeah, movie or something. It won like,
1: an award at Cannes. Like it is incredible, and they are such such a talented team. And they reached out to us, I think, a couple of years ago, and were like, "Do you could you provide a little bit of funding?" And we were like, "Cool, a student project. Let's support it." And then they came back with this edit and we were like, oh, this is incredible. So it's super exciting. There's just like CGI trees growing out of buildings as people search like that. Yeah, It's, it's
0: like it's witty, but it's also elegant. And then it's really clear cuts the mission
1: of Ecosia yeah. in a very, yeah, way it's yeah there's there's quite it's quite dark in some ways we also then did in-house like a matching billboard out of home campaign across 12 different european cities to kind of match this kind of concept of like whatever you're searching it can still help fund tree planting so yeah it was super exciting to see that go to life it was harrowing during the pandemic to try and be like is the city even open are people going to see the billboards like what will happen but yeah
0: yeah i'm also trying to understand how do you continue the growth of Ecosia, but also you're not falling off the social track because sometimes the growth comes with the compromises. How do you maintain the balance that, yeah, the growth is not impacting your social mission and it also doesn't bring
1: concerns of your users? I think that's an interesting one. I think there's still, there's a growing appetite for things that are actually tackling the climate crisis head head on like and so what we're seeing is that a few years ago like maybe climate awareness was here now like somewhere like the uk for example 96 percent of the population believe in climate change and they are pretty ardent and doing a lot of different personal actions to try and tackle that i think there's been a bit of a mistake or it almost makes me sad sometimes how much people focus on the personal things they can do when there's so much systemic change that needs to happen from big companies and and governments, but at the same time, people are determined to do their bit to try and not further it, and that's where we see people switching to Ecosia. So I think the appetite for that is only going up, and we our growth kind of matches it. We also see like huge spikes in growth when things happen, like the Brazil Amazon fires and people. We had within a few hours like half a million new users they were just like let us plant trees where how yeah, absolutely. because people feel very there's not a lot of things you can do that are this tangible that you can cut things back you can stop eating meat stop eating animal products try and be zero waste try and stop with fast fashion start using a train instead of a plane there's so but they're all cutting back there's very thing, few things that like a cozy where you can do something and then it's giving back something positive mm-hmm. And that is a crucial difference, and something that I think people get very excited about. And a lot of our growth then comes from someone who's like, "Look at my tree counter! You need to get on this!" Like, why aren't you also planting trees? And then they start telling colleagues, and then it kind of right, snowballs right, right. from there. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you
0: mentioned the systemic change, which is makes the real impact. For instance, if we look at two companies, we have a small but growing startup, mm-hmm. and then the second one we have. A rather large corporation. So what can they do already today? What are the resources? What are the tools to become more environmental friendly and to foster this positive change? But taking into account, I think, different budget allocation and uh, restrictions and also different internal resources. So looking at those
1: two cases, what can they do already today? I'll go for the startup one first. I think it's super interesting because you're still at the stage where you are working on the DNA of the company. So, who are you? What's your messaging? How are you structured? And you don't have to use all of your profits for yourselves. And figuring out that that can actually be one of the biggest levers for growth because if you're channeling a portion of your profit somewhere, you might be able to scale faster. Uh, So, that's super important. I think you can look at different things quite early on, like, do you want to become a benefit corporation? Do you want to become a B Corp? There's a large movement towards that. And then what can you do beyond that? And that is, I think, quite an interesting first step. And they have quite strict kind of steps you need to do. Like, are you doing this? What's your impact? How do you treat your employees? How do you treat your staff? Those kind of questions, as well as like, what is the outcome of what you do as a business? So there's those kind of things. You can also, there's a big movement within Germany, particularly for purpose companies. There's a purpose foundation. And that means that companies are committed to their purpose, not just profit. And Ecosia is a purpose company. And that means that we're self-owned. So Christian, our founder, can't sell Ecosia. He can't take dividends from isn't the normal founder story. And that means we our, our purpose as a company for tree planning is protected. So you can look at that if you want to be even more radical. And then there's a few kind of basic things like operations, like <laughs> what about your renewable energy? Are you Have you switched over to a renewable energy provider? Because that's one of the quickest and easiest. And actually there's not a big price difference on this anymore, depending on the country you're in. And you can stop at 100% or you can go beyond that. So for us, we're over 200%. So it means that we have invested in solar on different rooftops, for example, across Germany. And then we put more green energy into the grid than we use. So that means that there's other companies who we're pushing out the dirty energy basically for them. But if, if more companies did this, then we start having really positive impact. But that's the kind of thing that is starting to resonate with, with people, with your future users of your product. So That would be my advice is think about where people will be in two or three years and start planning for that Um, because people are starting to hold companies to account. So really thinking about these kind of things in terms of your kind of impact and like what are your, so your policies for your staff and that doesn't matter if you have 50 employees or if you have 50,000, but are you encouraging them to take the train instead of the plane um, when they're doing calls? So for us and and you can, make that possible. And for the larger corporation, the resources
0: are almost unlimited. So Mm. the change can be more drastic and actually
1: have bigger impact. That is true. I think you would get some pushback because often the larger ones are like, well, we're even more accountable to our shareholders. We have to post a profit. We have to do this. And that's where you're like, something about this system is broken and where it's profits over all else. And that for me is one of the problems is that we have this old structure, which means that it's profit over all else. And that is the legal responsibility often when you're a listed company like that, that's wrong. Um, so that's one of the issues at play, but as a big company, you can decide to go climate neutral in 2050, or you could decide to do it now. And obviously the companies who are doing it now and are well on that trajectory are going to be the stay as long term. Um, and that's, that's where you need to start really focusing your energies and not only being climate neutral but going beyond that um, and particularly for the larger tech companies like what what are your servers running on like what are, like what are your big costs on the environment like where is your biggest carbon footprint and starting to look at that and you can be innovative as well so like for us like we have to have sometimes employees visit our tree planting projects you cannot get to madagascar by train <laughs> uh, it's very difficult so in that case, we're like, okay, so we'll be flying. So we look at ways that we can make that flight neutral. But at the same time, what's wrong about aviation? And what's wrong about it is that flights aren't taxed. nearly as like it's, it's ridiculous how untaxed they are. Basically, we are doing it at huge cost to the planet and we are subsidizing flying despite its negative impact on the planet. So we actually do a donation for every flight to basically aviation activist organisations who are campaigning for flight taxes to go up. So those kind of things, it's like, okay, well, what's broken about this and how can we shift it? And even just a simple one I think a startup or a big corporation can do, especially if you're European-based, is allow staff to work from trains to get to their holiday. Don't force them to take that as their holiday day. So, for example, I'm going to Paris uh, tomorrow and I'm working by train and it's actually only six on the hours. It's, it's a lot faster than you think. But I'll be working that whole day and then my holiday starts. So that is, yeah, the kind of thing that we need to shift towards. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. Ecosia and I guess all the
0: employees there is just role models. And I like what, you know, what you're saying. You're not letting yourself to get too comfortable. Like you're mm. always questioning, what can I do more? And I think that mentality is just very refreshing and something we need to apply on a regular basis. Mm. Uh, Always ask yourself, can I do this different, Uh, looking at your actions from a different angle.
1: Um, So really kudos to you (laughs) and the whole Ecosia team. Yeah, thank you. This is amazing. I, I don't want to take credit for all of it. There's a lot of people with different expertise and ideas and like, wait, what if we approached it this way? And that's when it gets exciting. So we have, um, if you want to dive into a bit more, regeneration report. So rather than doing a sustainability one, we're like, okay, what's beyond sustainability now? And the word is like regeneration. How do you make it something that's not just sustainable, but it's actually regenerating itself and you have almost like healthy life again and like a healthy ecosystem. And so that kind of details the practical things that we did over particularly the past year. And that, yeah, super interesting.
0: Yeah. I was reading about regenerative agriculture. That's very interesting, but I think that's a conversation that's another for whole another, <laughs> another whole episode for sure. But my last question, last but not least, Anna, who is your woman role model? Who would you define as a woman
1: author of achievements? She sadly passed away, but Wangari Matai. So she's, we work now with her foundation in, in Kenya and she is. She won a Nobel Peace Prize, um, and she championed for tree planting um, at huge scale. And she was like, "We are doing it wrong," um, and she engendered huge change. And I think is an undersung hero um, that more of us um, could do to emulate as well. She really, right from like really campaigning in villages for. The way that people saw trees and be like, no, this is what a tree will do or bring back this, 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 you will get more rain. The water will come back. Um, It'll provide food for your family. You have to protect the tree until it's a certain size. And she did this over and over again. And then, but she also didn't forget to also talk to politicians and talk on the systemic level. And that's where it really came together. She's also written a book. We've got a short documentary on her on the Ecosia YouTube channel because Her work and her approach is really strong and just and such like she was working in like when you and I probably were born and she pioneered it in a way like she is one of the original environmentalists, I would say.
0: Inspiring. Thank you for sharing her name. Definitely will check her out on uh, your YouTube channel. And Hannah, thank you so much for stopping by today and being the first guest to talk in such depth about sustainability clearing out some of the terms that you brought up, which is like a huge learning curve for me and I'm sure for the listeners as well. And I'm wishing you a great train trip to Paris.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at WAA.Berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.